Chapter 8 of Unicorns. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Matea Bracic. Unicorns by James Honecker. Chapter 8 The Case of Paul Cezanne. The case of painter Paul Cezanne. Is he a stupendous nobody or a surpassing genius? The critical doctors disagree, an excellent omen for the reputation of the man from Provence. We do not discuss a corpse, and though Cezanne died in 1906, he is still a living issue among artists and writers. Every exhibition calls forth comment, fair, unfair, ignorant, and seldom just. Yet the Cezanne question, is it so difficult to resolve? Like Brahms, the Frenchman is often misrepresented. Brahms, known now as a romantic writing within the walls of accepted forms, neither a pedant nor a revolutionist. Cezanne, not a revolutionist, not an innovator, vastly interested in certain problems, has been made chef d'école, and fathered with a lot of theories which would send him into one of his famous rages if he could hear them. Either a revolutionist or a plagiarist, cried Paul Gauguin, whose work was heartily detested by Cezanne. But truth is ever mediocre, whether it resides at the bottom of a well or swings on the cusps of the new moon. What is the truth about Cezanne? The question bobs up every season. His so-called followers raise a clamour over the banality of representation in art, and their master is the one man in the history of art who squandered on canvas startling evocations of actuality, whose nose was closest to the soil. Huysmans was called an eye by Remy de Gourmont. Paul Cézanne is also an eye. In 1901, I saw at the Champ de Mars Salon a picture by Maurice Denis entitled Hommage à Cézanne, the idea of which was manifestly inspired by Manet's Hommage à Fantine Latour. The canvas depicted a still life by Cézanne on a Chevrolet and surrounded by Bonnard, Denis, Redon, Roussel, Serrosier, Vouillard, Melirio, and Vollard. Himself, as they say in Irish, is shown standing and apparently unhappy, embarrassed. Then came the brusque apotheosis of 1904 at the Autumn Salon, the most revelatory of his unique gift thus far made. Puvis de Chavanne had a special salle, so had Eugène Carrier. Cézanne held the place of honour. The critical press was hostile, all half-hearted. Paul Cézanne, with his naive vanity, seemed dazzled by the uproarious championship of Le Jeune, and, to give him credit for a peasant-like astuteness, he was rather suspicious and always on his guard. He stolidly accepted the frantic homage of the youngsters, looking all the while like a bourgeois Buddha. In the sun of 1901, 1904, and 1906, the latter the year of his death, appeared my articles on Cézanne, among the first, if not the first, that were printed in this country. Since then he has been hoisted to the stars by his admirers, and with him have mounted his prizes. Why not? One juxtaposed with most painters, his pictures make the others look like linoleum or papier-mâché. He did not occupy himself, as did Manet, with the manners, ideas, and aspects of his generation. In the classic retort of Manet, he could have replied to those who taunted him with not finishing his pictures. 
Sir, I am not a historical painter. Nor need we be disconcerted in any estimate of him by the depressing snobbery of collectors who don't know B from a bull's foot, but who go off at half-trigger when a hint is dropped about the possibilities of a painter appreciating in a pecuniary sense. Cezanne is the painting idol of the hour, as were Manet and Monet a decade ago. These fluctuations must not distract us, because Cabanel, Bergerot, and Henner, too, were idolized once upon a time, and served to make a millionaire's holiday by hanging in his marble bathroom. It is the undeniable truth that Cezanne has become a tower of strength in the eyes of the younger generation of artists which intrigues critical fancy. Sincerity is strength. Cezanne is sincere to the core, but even stark sincerity does not necessarily imply the putting forth of masterpieces. Before he attained his original synthetic power, he patently studied Delacroix, Courbet, and several others. He achieved at times the foundational structure of Courbet, but his pictures, so say his enemies, are sans composition, sans linear pattern, sans personal charm. But popularity is for dolls, cried Emerson. Cezanne's was a twilight soul, and a humorless one. His early modelling in paint was quasi-structural, always the architectural sense, though his rhythms are elliptical at times, and he betrays a predilection for the asymmetrical. Nevertheless, a man who has given to an art in two dimensions the illusion of a third, tactile values are here raised to the nth degree. His colour is personal and rhythmic. Huysmans was clairvoyant when, nearly a half-century ago, he spoke of Cézanne's work as containing the prodromes of a new art. He was absorbed in the handling of his material, not in the lyric, dramatic, anecdotic, or rhetorical elements. His portraits are vital and changed with character, and he often thinks profoundly on unimportant matters. When you are young, your foreground is huddled. It is the desire for more space that begets revolutionists, not unlike a big man elbowing his way in a crowd. Laudable, then, are all these sporadic outbursts, and while a creative talent may remain provincial, even parochial, as was the case with Cezanne, a critic must be cosmopolitan or nothing. An artist may stay rooted in his own bailiwick his life long, yet paint like an angel, but a provincial critic is a contradiction in terms. He reminds one of a razor so dull that it can't cut better. Let us therefore be hospitable to new ideas. Even Cabanel has his good points. The tang of the town is not in Cezanne's portraits of places. His leaden landscapes do not arouse to spontaneous activity a jaded retina fed on Fortuny, Monticelli, or Monet. As for the groups of bathing women, how they must wound the sensibility of George Moore, professor of energy at the University of Erotica. There is no sex appeal, merely women in their natural pelt. It is related of the Empress Eugenie that in front of Courbet's Les Bagneuses, Salon 1853, she asked, Et c'est aussi en of the heavy planked Percheron breed of horse are the ladies on the canvases of Cézanne. The remark of the Empress appealed to the truculent vanity of Courbet. It might not have pleased Cézanne. With beauty, academic or operatic, he had no traffic. 
if you don't care for his graceless news you may console yourself that there is no disputing tastes with the tasteless they are uglier than the females of dagar and twice as truthful we have seen some of his still-life pieces so acid in tonal quality as to suggest that divine dissonance produced on the palate by a slightly stale oyster or akin to the rancid note of an oboe in a score by stravinsky but what tri-subtle sonorities what colour calls are in his best work i once wrote in the promenades of an impressionist that his fruits and vegetables savour of the earth chardin interprets still life with realistic beauty when he painted an onion it revealed a certain grace volant would have dramatised it when cezanne painted one you smelt it a feeble witticism to be sure but it registered the reaction on the sounding-board of my sensibility the supreme technical qualities in cezanne are volume ponderability and an entrancing colour scheme what's the use of asking whether he is a sound draughtsman he is a master of edges and a magician of tonalities huysman spoke of his defective eyesight but disease boasts its discoveries as well as health the abnormal vision of cezanne gave him glimpses of a reality denied to other painters he advised emile bernard to look for the contrasts and correspondences of tones he practised what he preached no painter was so little affected by personal moods by those variations of temperament dear to the artist had cezanne the temperament that he was always talking about if so it was not decorative in the accepted sense an unwearying experimenter he seldom finished a picture his morose landscapes were usually painted from one scene near his home at aix i visited the spot the pictures do not resemble it which simply means that cezanne had the vision and i had not a few themes with polyphonic variations filled his simple life art submerged by the apparatus and he had the centripetal not the centrifugal temperament in his rigid intense ignorance there was no room for climate personal charm not even for sunshine think of the blazing blue sky and sun of provence the romantic semi-tropical riot of its vegetation its gamuts of green and scarlet and search for this mellow richness and misty golden air in the pictures of our master you won't find them though a mystic light permeates the entire series the sallow sublime he did not paint portraits of provence as did daudet and numarumistan or bizet and la Rezienne. he sought for profounder meaning the superficial the facile the staccato and the brilliant repelled him not that he was an abstract painter as the jargon goes he was eminently concrete he plays a legitimate trompe l'oeil on the optic nerve his is not a pictorial illustration of provence but the slow patient delineation by a geologist of art of a certain hill on old mother earth shamelessly exposing her bare torso bold rocky pate and gravelled feet the illusion is not to be escaped as drab as the orchestration of brahms and as austere in linear economy and as analytical as stendhal or ibsen cezanne never becomes truly lyrical except in his still life upon an apple he lavishes his palette of smothered jewels and as all things are relative 
an onion for him is as beautiful as a naked woman and he possesses a positive genius for the tasteless the chiefest misconception of Cezanne is that of the theoretical fanatics who not only proclaim him their chief of school which may be true but also declare him to be the greatest painter that ever wielded a brush since the byzantines the nervous shrinking man i saw at paris would have been astonished at some of the things printed since his death while he yearned for the publicity of the official salon as did zola for a seat in the academy he disliked notoriety he loved work above all solitude he took with him a fresh batch of canvases every morning and trudged to his pet landscapes the motive he called it and it was there that he slaved away with technical heroism though he didn't kill himself with his labours as some of his fervent disciples have asserted he died of unromantic diabetes when i first saw him he was a queer sardonic old gentleman in ill-fitting clothes with the shrewd suspicious gaze of a provincial notary a rare impersonality i should say there is a lot of inutile talk about significant form by propagandists of the new aesthetic as if form had not always been significant no one can deny cezanne's preoccupation with form nor corbet's either consider the ornan landscapes with their sombre flux of forest by the crassest realist among french painters he seems hopelessly romantic to our sharper and more petulant modern mode of envisaging the world there is significant form and a solid structural sense but cezanne quite o'ercrows corbet in his feeling for the massive sometimes you can't see the ribs because of the skeleton goethe has told us that because of his limitations we may recognize a master the limitations of paul cezanne are patent to all he is a profound investigator and if he did not deem it wise to stray far from the territory he called his own then we should not complain for therein he was monarch of all he surveyed his nonconformism defines his genius imagine reversing musical history and finding johann sebastian bach following richard strauss the idea seems monstrous yet this figuratively speaking constitutes the case of cezanne he arrived after the classic romantic impressionistic symbolic schools he is a primitive not made like puvi but one born to a crabbed simplicity his veiled cool harmonies sometimes recall the throb of a deep bass organ pipe oppositional splendour is there and the stained radiance of a bacchian chorale the music flows as if from a secret spring what poet asked when we drive out from the cloud of steam majestical white horses are we greater than the first men who led black ones by the mane why can't we be truly catholic in our taste the heaven of art contains many mansions and the rainbow more colours than one paul cezanne will be remembered as a painter who respected his material and as a painter pure and complex no man who wields a brush need wish a more enduring epitaph. End of chapter 8